Chapter 34 The Hell of Spears A few hours after sunrise today, he began, I stood at the edge of the forest, gazing out at the towers of Kosumbi, my mind full of vengeance on Satagira, and revolving the question as to whether you would bring me the desired information. I then became aware of a solitary traveller on the road which leads from the eastern gate of the city to the forest. He walked with a gentle and easy motion, and was clad in an ochre robe. On both sides of the road herdsmen and farm workers were busy with their daily toil, and I observed how those who were nearest the road shouted something to the lone traveller, while those who were farther off also paused in the middle of their work, looked after him, and pointed with their fingers. The women and men who were near appeared to warn him more eagerly the farther he advanced, yes, even to seek to stop him, while some ran after him, seized his robe, and then with hurried and horror-stricken gestures pointed to the wood. I almost believed I could hear them calling to him, No, father, don't go into the forest. That's where the fearful robber Angulimala has his lair. But the traveller came onward undisturbed, in the direction of the wood, and I now saw from his robes and his closely cropped hair that he was a monk, a wanderer, one of those who belonged to the order of the son of the Sakians, and an old man of commanding stature. I thought to myself, this is truly strange. On this road in the past, groups of ten, twenty, thirty, or even forty have set out in well-armed companies, and they have one and all fallen into my power. And this wanderer here comes on alone, like a conqueror. And it nettled me that he so openly defied my power. I made up my mind to kill him, and especially since I thought to myself that he might possibly have been sent into the forest as a spy by Satagira. For these wanderers, so I thought, are all hypocritical and corrupt and are ready to be used in all kinds of ways, feeding upon the superstition of the people and the safety they enjoy as its outcome. For thus had I been taught to regard them by my learned friend Vajrashravas. Instantly making up my mind, I seized my spear, hung my bow and quiver over my shoulder, made for the road, and, step for step, followed the monk who had by now entered the forest. Finally, when I had reached a favourable spot where no trees separated us, I took down my bow from my shoulder and shot an arrow so that it would pierce the left side of his back and pass through his heart. But it flew away, over his head. Hmm. By some mistake a bad arrow must have got in amongst the others, I said to myself, as I took the quiver in my hand and picked out a beautifully feathered and faultless one, which I aimed so that it would transfix his neck. But the arrow stuck into the trunk of a tree to his left. The next flew past him to the right, and the same thing happened with all my arrows, until my quiver was empty. Inconceivable! Amazing! I thought to myself. Have I not amused myself by placing a prisoner with his back against a fence, and shooting my arrows at him in such a way that, after he stepped aside, the whole outline of his body was indicated exactly by the arrows sticking in the fence? And that, too, at a greater distance? Am I not accustomed to bringing down from the sky an eagle in full flight with my arrows? Whatever is the matter with my hand today? Meanwhile, the monk had walked a considerable distance, and I began to run after him in order to kill him with my spear. But when I had come to within a distance of about fifty paces from him, I couldn't gain another step, although I ran with all my might, and he seemed to be walking quite leisurely forward. And I said to myself, In truth, this is the most incredible thing of all. Have I not outrun frightened elephants and fleeing deer? And now, running with all my might, I cannot overtake this old monk, who's just strolling along? What is the matter with my feet today? And I stopped and called out to him, 
Stop, monk, stop! But he paced quietly on and called back, I have stopped, Angulimala. You should stop too. At this I was again much astonished and thought, Plainly this monk has baffled my archery and my running by some right of truth, but how can he then utter a manifest untruth and assert that he is standing still, while he is still in fact walking, and demand that I should stand still, though he sees perfectly well that I am already standing as stationary as this tree? So might the flying goose say to the oak, I am standing still, oak, you should stand still too. Surely there must be something behind all this. Maybe it would be of more value to understand the meaning of these words than to take the life of such a holy man. And I called to him, Walking, you imagine yourself to be standing still, monk, and me, while standing still, you falsely claim to be walking. Explain what you mean by this, great monk. How is it that you have stopped and I have not? And he answered me, Angulimala, I have stopped forever. I abstain from doing harm to living things. I am at rest and wander in samsara no more. But you, you who still rage against all living things, must wander ceaselessly from one place of suffering to another. I answered again, That we wander forever I have of course heard, but that about standing still, about wandering no more, I do not understand. Venerable Sir, please explain to me what you just expressed in these few words. See, I have put my spear from me and solemnly swear to grant you peace. For the second time, Angulimala, he said, you have sworn falsely. For the second time? The first time it happened was at that false right of truth. That he should have known of that secret matter was not the smallest of these marvels to me, but without pausing over that I made haste to defend my crafty deed. My words, venerable sir, were certainly somewhat ambiguous on that occasion, but I swore nothing false. Only the sense was misleading. That, however, which I swear to you now is true literally and in fact. Not so, he answered, for you can grant me no peace. It would be good, however, for you if you allowed yourself to experience peace instead. As he spoke thus, he turned round and motioned to me with a friendly gesture to approach. Willingly, venerable sir, I humbly said, Listen then, and pay close attention. He sat down in the shade of a large tree and bade me seat myself before him. He began to teach me of wholesome and unwholesome deeds and of their consequences, all the time explaining everything as fully to me as when one speaks to a child. I had not listened to words so brimming with deep wisdom since I had sat at the forest by night at the feet of Vajrashravas, of whom I have already spoken to you, and whose name, I imagine, you have also heard from others. But when this holy man now revealed to me that no arbitrary heavenly power but our own hearts alone, with the thoughts and deeds emanating from them, cause us to be born now here, now there, at one time on earth, at another in heaven, and then again in hell, I could not help thinking about Vajrashravas and of the way in which he had proved to us, by reasons of common sense and by reference to the sacred writings, that there could be no such hell punishments, and that all the passages in the sacred writings having reference to such had been interpolated by weak and cowardly people in order that by such threats they might terrify the strong and courageous and protect themselves from the violence of the latter. Vajrashravas was never quite able to convince me, I thought. I wonder whether this monk will be able to do so. Here stands opinion against opinion, scholar against scholar. For even if this monk should be one of the great disciples of the son of the Sakyans, yet Vajrashravas was also highly thought of by his own followers, and now, after his death, is even worshipped by the common people as a saint. 
who then is to decide as to which of these two is in the right? You are no longer attending to what I say, Angulimala, said the monk. You are thinking of Vajrashravas and his erroneous doctrines. Much astonished, I acknowledged the truth of what he said. So, you, venerable sir, you also knew my friend Vajrashravas? People showed me his grave outside the city gate, and I saw foolish travellers offering up prayers there under the delusion that he was a saint. So, he is no saint then? Well, if he seems one to you, let us visit him and see how he fares now with his sainthood. He said this as though it were a matter of going from one house to another. Thoroughly taken aback, I stared at him. Visit him? Vajashravas? How is that possible? Give me your hand, he said, and I shall enter into that state of meditative absorption by the aid of which the path that leads to the gods and that which leads to the demons becomes visible to a steadfast heart. Then we shall follow in his track, and what I see, you shall see also. I gave him my hand. For some time he sat there perfectly still, his eyes cast down, the vision directed inward. I was conscious of nothing. Suddenly, however, I felt as a swimmer would feel when the demon who dwells in the waters seizes his arm and draws him down, so that the blue heavens and the trees on the bank disappear and the waves meet over his head, and darkness that grows ever deeper closes round him on every side. From time to time, however, tongues of flame flared up around me, and a mighty roaring thundered in my ears. Finally, I found myself in what seemed to be a vast cave, where it was quite dark, save for the fitful illumination furnished by the fleeting gleam of countless lightning flashes. When I had grown somewhat accustomed to the darkness, I discovered that these flashes were the reflections of steel spearheads, which darted hither and thither as though lances were being wielded by invisible arms, as if there were a battle between ghostly armies. I heard screams also, not fierce and courageous, however, as those of warriors drunk with the joy of the fray, but screams of pain and groans of the wounded, whom, however, I did not see. For these terrifying sounds came from the background, where the quivering lance-heads formed one trembling and whirling mist. The foreground was empty. In this empty space there now appeared three figures, vomited, as it were, from the black mouth of a den which opened upon it from the right. The man in the middle was Vajashravas. His naked body trembled from head to foot, as though he froze terribly or was shaken by fever. His companions both had human bodies which were supported upon birds' legs, armed with powerful claws, and were surmounted, in the one case by a fish's head, in the other by a dog's. In his hands each bore a long spear. The figure with a fish's head spoke first. This, honoured sir, is the hell of spears, where you, according to the sentence of the judge of hell, have to endure punishment for ten thousand years in being ceaselessly pierced by these quivering spears. Afterwards, you shall be born again somewhere, according to the dictates of your karma. Then he with the dog's head spoke, As often, honoured sir, as two spears cross in your heart, you can reckon that a thousand years of your hellish torture have passed. Scarcely had he said this, when both of the infernal watchmen swung their lances and skewered Vajrashravas, and, as if at a given signal, all the spears round about also flashed towards him, their points entering from every side, just as ravens hurl themselves upon an abandoned carcass and bury their beaks in its flesh. Overcome by the horror of the sight, and by the pitiful screams that Vajrashravas uttered in his agony, my senses forsook me. When I came to myself again, I lay in the wood under the huge tree, prostrate at the feet of the master.
Have you seen Angulimala? I have seen, Master. And I did not dare even to add, Help me! For how could I seek to be helped? If, after the dissolution of your body, as a result of your deeds, you come to the road that leads down to the underworld, and if King Yama, the judge of the dead, then passes the same sentence upon you, and the guards of hell lead you into the hell of spears to the same punishment, would it be more than you deserve? No, Master, it would not be more than I deserve. But a course of life which you yourself realize justly leads to these unspeakable tortures, is this truly, Angulimala, a course of life that is worth pursuing? Master, this course of life I here and now renounce. I will forswear all my demonic practices for one word of your teaching. Once, long ages ago, Angulimala, the judge of the dead of that time pondered deeply, and this was the outcome of his thoughts. Truly, one who has committed offences in this world is punished with a vast ocean of misery. Oh, that I might become human, and that a Tathagata, a fully enlightened Buddha, might appear in the world, and that I might be able to be with him, and that he, the Blessed One, might expound the Dharma to me, and that I might understand it. Now, that which that judge wished so ardently for himself, that has come about, Angulimala. You have become a man. But even as in this land of Jambudvipa Angulimala there are to be found only few smiling groves, few splendid forests, fair heights and charming lotus pools, and in comparison with these, the raging rivers, untrodden jungles, desolate rocky mountains and barren deserts are by far more numerous, even so only a few living beings arrive in the human state, in comparison with the far greater number that are born in different realms of existence. Even so, only a few generations are on the earth at the same time as a Buddha, in comparison with the far greater number in whose time no Buddha arises. Even so, only a few individuals of those few generations are so fortunate as to see the Tathagata, in comparison with that far greater number who do not see him. But you, Angulimala, you have become a man, and this has happened at a time when a Buddha has appeared in the world, and you have seen him and are able to be with him, with the Tathagata himself. When I heard these words, I placed my palms together and exclaimed, Blessed one, so you yourself are the fully enlightened Buddha? So you, the noblest of beings, have had compassion for the worst? Uh, and will you allow me to stay with you? I will, answered the Master, and hear this also. Even as there are among the few who see the Master only a few who hear his teaching, so too, there are but few who comprehend it. You, however, will both hear the teaching and will comprehend it. Come, disciple. The perfect one had entered the wood like an elephant hunter who rides upon his tame elephant. He left the wood again as the elephant hunter leaves the wood, followed by a wild elephant, which his skill has tamed. Thus I have now come to you, Vasati, not as the robber Angulimala, but as the disciple Angulimala. See, I have cast from me the spear and the club, the knife and the whip. I have forsworn killing and torturing, and towards all living beings I now extend only a heart of peace and loving-kindness. <laughs>